Hi and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie and in each episode I, along with my co-presenters and guests, will help you connect with and protect our amazing natural world. In this episode, Tim Hancocks and I speak to Jim Jeffrey, Nature Scott's Pollinator Strategy Manager. Jim explains the importance of pollinators, tells us about projects up and down the country helping reverse nature loss and provides some great tips for ways we can all make Scotland more pollinator friendly. Hi Jim, welcome to Make Space for Nature podcast. Thanks for joining us. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. So we're here today really to talk about pollinators, which is what you look after um, within Nature Scott. Um, I just wanted to, to hear a wee bit about the, the pollinator strategy for Scotland. Um, what, what is it all about and why do we need one? Well, Scotland's pollinators are vital for our biodiversity and species like bees and hoverflies. They're a familiar sight in our parks and our gardens and the countryside. And they play a really important role in our food and farming industries and even our enjoyment of the outdoors and our health and well-being. But they, they are under threat. They're facing challenges and pressures, including things like habitat loss, habitat fragmentation, changes in land use, pesticides, diseases and climate change. So they need our help, and that's why we have a pollinator strategy. Great, and I see there's a, a progress report just been published recently. Um, is that good news, bad news? Is it you know what what's kind of come out of that? Are they in decline? I, I think the the progress report is good news because it's important to celebrate successes. And with the the progress report. We can acknowledge the work that's been carried out by a huge range of partners. And if you dig into that report, which is on the Nature Scott website, you can see so many good things happening at local authority level, at research level, at community level, and at individual level. An awful lot of people are rallying to the cause. That's great, and and I think particularly during um, you know during lockdown, I think there's been quite a few success stories despite lockdown actually. So a lot of people, charities, organisations, they've been instrumental in in helping pollinators. Um, is there some examples that you'd like to share with us? Certainly, the likes of the wildflower meadows and the the kind of you, you know councils maybe not cutting their road verges as often as they used to. The, these kind of stories definitely seem to be helping the pollinators. Yeah, there's many examples of good projects, the length and breadth of Scotland, and I can highlight a few of them. In Falkirk, for example, they have pollinator parks, and these are a tremendous way to give pollinator stepping stones through an area. In Glasgow, they've launched their own pollinator plan, and they have their own nursery at Pollock Park, producing native flowers. In South Lanarkshire, there are many examples of pollinator spaces being created. One of which, interestingly for Nature Scott, uh, is Fernbray Meadows, which was one of our successful green infrastructure projects. And another project that caught my eye was the Urban to Garvin Nectar Network. And that was a combination of schools, golf clubs, community groups creating pollinator corridors through Ayrshire. And it's not just in the central belt that good things are happening. 
In the likes of Isla, you've got their Road Verge campaign where they're boosting the floral diversity on the verges and not cutting them as often. And that's good news for pollinators. And up in Orkney, near to a, a new hospital build, they created pollinator-friendly green spaces. And that's just skimming the surface. Up and down Scotland, there are many examples of really good pollinator-friendly projects. Jim, I'm going to ask a, a slightly silly question, potentially. Um, so when we think pollinators, everybody immediately thinks of, of bees being the, the obvious one we're taught as, as children. But that's not the case, where there are so many different uh, uh, creatures that, that um, do the work of pollinators. Can you, can you tell us what some of those are and, and what, what we should be looking out for? Yeah, that's a good point, Tim, because people are familiar with honeybees. They're probably familiar with bumblebees. But increasingly, people are becoming aware of solitary bees, of which we've got many species in Scotland. But it's also important that we acknowledge that species like hoverflies, moths, these are important pollinators too. Absolutely, and I think um, the one pollinator that has such a bad name is the wasp as you'll probably hear time and time again. How how do we overcome that? Um, I suppose it's just education, isn't it? It's encouraging people to, to look after all pollinators, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I'm glad that you mentioned the poor, beleaguered wasp, because it does get a bad rap. But the wasp not only is a pollinator, but it's a key part of our biodiversity too. The complex social beasts... They're master engineers, their nests are quite incredible constructions. And people shouldn't think that wasps are out to get them. If you find wasps at your picnic, it's simply because they're looking to feed. And there are ways that you can actually make that experience better for yourself and your family and friends. And that's by keeping your food under wraps, not leaving it lying around. Because wasps don't go out with the intention of annoying you, they're simply looking for food. Try not wave your arms about, because again, that can attract them and agitate them. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned them, because they are an important part of our biodiversity. They've had a hard time, but I would like to think that people are coming round to their value. And one with maybe a slightly um, friendly reputation for their, their bright colours, the, the butterfly. Do, do they play an important role as well? And, and what's the, the difference as far as... Um, success of, of pollinating lots of different plants between, uh, say, a bee or a moth or a butterfly, or, or um, do they all provide a very similar and unique service? Again, it's a good question, Tim. I think in the UK we'd have to acknowledge that the important pollinators are our bees and our hoverflies. So honeybees, bumblebees, solitary bees, hoverflies... Other insects are pollinators, but not to the extent that these species are. It's interesting, though. I didn't uh, realise that there were certain different levels, I suppose, with the, with the pollinators. And certainly, I mean, even in my, for instance, my children's school, they're planting apple trees, sunflowers, various flowering plants. Do you see a lot more schools and kind of local councils really, really embracing this um, in, in, in all their work? Oh, we do. When I'm compiling the annual progress report, that's something that comes to the fore. And more and more schools are getting involved. 
And I have to say, some of the partners we work with, like BugLife Scotland, Bumblebee Conservation Trust, Butterfly Conservation, these groups are really good at engaging the public and initiating projects of that kind. But increasingly, I get a sense that schools are interested in the topic because obviously climate change and biodiversity loss are very much in the news. So it's almost inevitable that that will be picked up across the social spectrum. Absolutely, and I think COP26 has definitely helped raise that awareness of the climate change and um, and and the kind of link to nature loss and all the things we can we need to do to help. Um, and speaking of that, you know, there's lots of people out there volunteering. Certainly, with the Make Space for Nature campaign, we always encourage people to 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 get out there and do a bit of volunteering, even if it's just. Um, I think Pass for All, they kind of talk about micro-volunteering, whether that's picking up litter um, or just helping on the kind of the, the local routes that you go on. Is there certain volunteering projects that you would encourage people to get involved with? Well, one, one thing that I'm very keen to support is the Pollinator Monitoring Research Programme. And part of that is the, the fit counts and the one kilometre square surveys that people can carry out. Now, the fit counts are ideal for a citizen scientist. Uh, it's organised by the POMS team, Pollinator Monitoring Scheme. And you can fill in your submissions online. It's something that any of us can, can do. You only have to give up 10 minutes or so of your day. There's great instructions on the, the POMS website. And again, you can find that on the Pollinator pages of our own website. I recommend people get involved with that. Another thing people can do is look to their community groups to see if there are opportunities to help enhance their own areas and their own communities with pollinator-friendly practices. And as you know, we sponsor the Keep Scotland Beautiful Pollinator-Friendly Award. And that highlights consistently actions by communities to improve their own local green spaces for the benefit of pollinators. So it brings people together, they plant for pollinators, they monitor the pollinators. It's a really good indication of how people can get behind this type of work and enjoy being involved in it. That's great, Jim. Given the time of year as it starts to warm up a bit with spring finally coming and the, the depths of winter behind us, um, people will be spending more time in their own gardens or, or in green spaces nearby. But for those who, who are in their own garden and are looking to maybe do some planting or, or tidy things up, do you have any tips of, of what you, you would hope that they might be doing in their gardens to try and um, help out with your, your efforts to, to keep pollinators strong in Scotland? Ah, I'm so glad you asked me that. Um, we do encourage people to plant for pollinators in their own space. And that doesn't matter whether it's a window box, a container, a garden, or you're, you're through your local community. A few things we like to encourage are having something in flower throughout the season. So from early spring through to autumn, i.e. from crocuses and snowdrops right through to ivy at the end of the season. And that will help queen bees emerging and going into hibernation. Variety is also important because pollinators, when you drill into them, they're really interesting 
range of species there. You've got pollinators with long tongues, you've got pollinators with short tongues. Providing different types of flower can be really helpful. An advice on that, you can find that on sites like the Bumblebee Conservation Trust website. There's a whole host actually of good planting advice out there. And indeed, our own website carries a planting for pollinators guide. Brilliant. I never knew there was a difference between the, the length of their tongues at all. I never even thought of that. Um, and, and what about um, your own ways that you make space for nature in your life? Are you are you a keen gardener or are you, um, you know, what, what kind of things do you help? How do you help the pollinators? Yes, I, I do have a garden and I'm quite keen on gardening. Uh, and obviously I, I plant specifically for pollinators. This year I, I planted a hedge and that creates uh, a bit more space for nature. I've also let a corner of my garden go wild. Uh, I've left it to its own devices and that's been quite rewarding already. I can see that the dandelions are really enjoying that space. I've got a bee house which the uh, red mason bees are using uh, and they should emerge any day now. And a bee house can be, can be great fun. It's a lovely way to watch nature close up. Uh, I, th- I recommend people have a look at our Scott Pollinator blog because there we have a blog specifically looking at the subject of bee houses. But uh, I reiterate that the most important thing that I do is I plant for pollinators and I I aim to have something in flower from early spring right through to autumn. Even if you don't care that much about the pollinators and you just want aesthetics, you know, nice to have lots of flowering plants in your garden, so a win-win for both sides. Yeah, I think people often overlook the the well-being aspect of watching and observing pollinators and watching the, the flowers that they feed on, it can be very relaxing. And as we know, coming through the pandemic, people have really appreciated these connections, these close connections with nature. Absolutely. And I think that they've noticed the seasons more as well. You know, where, where things are flowering and when things are flowering as well, it's been... Um, you know, it's been really nice to actually watch the seasons as they emerge. The other thing I was going to ask you, Jim, was about what are Nature Scott doing for pollinators? I think one of the things we're proudest of are the pollinator trails that we've established at many of our leading national nature reserves. So if you go to Craig Meggie, Tainish, Flanders Moss, Muir of Dinnet, St Cyrus, Forvey, to name just some of them, you can enjoy a pollinator trail there. And that means that you'll find information panels that will tell you about habitats and species and things that you can do at home to help pollinators. And of course, we've recently launched the Nature Restoration Fund and groups can submit applications to that fund. And in the past, with things like the Biodiversity Challenge Fund, we've seen that Meadow creation has been one of the resulting successes of people bidding to that fund. Well, 
Thank you very much for coming on, Jim. It's been great to, to have you here to, to let us know a bit more about pollinators and for anybody else heading out into the, the spring or the summer into your garden or green space. Hopefully you, you get planting those those varieties. Um, if you're like us with small kids in the house, you've probably been made to watch Encanto a million times with the, the, the young girl who, who plants a lot of roses and then discovers it's more fun to have a variety. So follow on that, that tradition with the kids and let's see how many flowers we can get in your gardens. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Make Space for Nature, please follow it on your podcast app and leave a review or rating. We'd also love you to tell more people about the series. For more ways to connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.com.